We tried to pass a, We tried to pass the dance move all the way around the table. Yeah. Oh, you dropped Stephanie. Stephanie. You dropped Stephanie's it. that person at a sporting I was like, are you, trying to, are you asking me to like, yeah. stop something? Yeah. Sorry, I was switching the slides. No, you're getting the wave growing. You're that oh, person at the sporting event where the wave dies. And I'm just like <laughs> exactly. texting on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I love the wave, actually. Oh. Like, I feel very strongly about the wave. I hate watching it die. It's the worst. Really? So you I just, just let myself it. down. I know. Sorry. Well, I'd like for you to feel strongly about this podcast so it wouldn't die. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Debrief, a weekly podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. Every single week, Pastor Matt Brown is bringing you real answers to tough questions from the Bible, and this week is no exception. Wow. You're going to bring some real... intro. Some real... It was very strong. It was very strong. (laughs) Uh, My name is Justin Party. I'm your friend on this journey of fun, and of course, we've got Stephanie Keene. Shutting it down, but hopefully bringing it all the way back around. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not talking about you in life in general. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about you in this moment this afternoon. Yeah, she's a little negative. Uh, (laughs) Pastor Matt, are you feeling good? You're going to be able to bring like counterbalance. Doomsday Dolores. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know what's fun? Do a podcast with two people who consider themselves your big brothers. The laughs will never cease. Hey. We should, we should run a competition on this show, some kind of giveaway where you get to play, you get to sit in Stephanie's seat for a particular episode. I know. People always say that to me, though. You should be nicer to Stephanie. I'm like, you don't I know, know her. <laughs> <laughs> they can see the pain in my eyes. Mm. Well, what I was thinking was we could literally run that competition and have some, anybody sit in here because it, it wouldn't matter. <gasps> oh, wow. Oh, that was too wow. far. See, I knew it. I knew it. Wow. That was too far. Ah. Well, welcome to the show. We're glad you guys are here. Hey, if you have not yet heard the news, Sandals Church has a brand new iPhone app. By now, it's not actually brand new. It's a couple weeks old, but it's so awesome. It's one of the best ways for you to share the debrief, or if you know somebody who wants to listen to the podcast but does not understand how podcasts work, all you got to do is go to the iOS for iOS store and iOS help them yeah, help them download uh, the Sandal Search app. And inside there is the debrief. There's a whole little cool little media section. You can get all the old sermons as well as the debrief. And every single Tuesday afternoon at four thirty, a brand new episode will show up there for them to enjoy. So. That is right. And right now we are going through all things relationships here on The Debrief. So for the next couple of weeks, we're still going to be covering things like parenting, uh, relationships with coworkers, relationships with friends. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff still coming up. So if you've got questions about any of those things, send them our way. We would love to talk about those relationships. So what we're going to do today is debrief Pastor Matt's sermon from week two of the Relationship Toolkit series. And with we're going to do that with a special focus on marriage relationships. That's right. But before we do that, we got some off-topic questions you guys have sent in. And Pastor Matt is going to bring the real truth, lifting us up. Here it is, off topic. Question number one for you, Pastor Matt. That's right. This one comes from Andrea. And she says, I was listening to an older sermon and PMB was talking about a woman who left her dying Name husband. dropper. Yeah. She's talking about you, dude. Mm. Uh, so you were talking about a woman who left her dying husband to be with someone else. Oh. And her excuse is that she felt God was pushing her in that direction. It's clear that she was sinning and being selfish. But hearing that story made me question hearing from God. How do we know if God is really talking to us or we just think he is? Yeah, that's a great question. And we all, all, myself included, we need to make sure that we check our emotions at the door and say, you know, I mean, what does Jesus say on the cross? Not my will, but yours be done. So if Jesus was just a typical human being, he would assume that God's will was not for him to die on the cross Mm -hmm. because that would be uncomfortable and painful. And so sometimes, you know, we have to embrace suffering. We have to hang in there. We have to stick in our marriage. We have to work it out with our kids, our friendships, our relationships. We don't bail on our church because things have gotten weird, but we hang in there. So what we need to do is we need to make sure, you know, is what, um, is, is what, I want to do is it in line with scripture. Is there any Bible verse that speaks specifically to my issue? Now, there's not going to be a verse for every situation. Sorry to, um, you know, bring that news to you, but that's the reality. 
So that's why for a lot of times we have to have wisdom when it comes to scripture so that we can apply the wisdom that we have to a specific situation that's not in the scripture. So the first thing is, is this specifically addressed? If no, okay, what does the wisdom of scripture say about this issue? So in that person's issue, you know, the Bible says God hates divorce. Uh, God wants us to remember our commitments and our vows. And, you know, one of those vows is until death do we part. And, um, you know, in this case, her husband ended up dying just a year or two later. And um, she could have, you know, remarried the right way, but she needed to stay with her husband, walk that to the very end and be with him. Um, Now, she had all kinds of reasons why she felt like God was allowing her to do this. And, you know, um, I just didn't agree with any of her reasons. And Mm -hmm. so I counseled her to get that. Ultimately, she left the church and, you know, went on somewhere else. And um, that's the tragedy today. You know, you can always find some other church when you don't get, you know, you don't hear what you want to hear. And so, you know, check with scripture, then check with people who love you and know your situation. So, you know, the great thing about a counselor is you can get um, objective advice. The bad thing about a counselor is they only know what you tell them. Mm -hmm. So they're limited in their advice based upon the information that you present. And so that's why a lot of times counselors will give different advice to people in our church about their marriage from what we have. Well, what we have is we're talking to both spouses. We know the situation. We've walked through it together and we have a different input and interest. And so, you know, the church is not here to harm you. If you're in danger or something's going on terrible in our life, you know, the church wants to be on the side of your safety and we want to make sure that you and your kids are safe. And and we're going to make sure that that's, you know, that happens, but make sure before you make any major decisions, you check with scripture next, check with your church. Um, and then third, you know, because sometimes you find yourself in a bad church, you know, there are cults, there's all kinds of weird things. Make sure you check with an outside authority, like a counselor or a pastor from, you know, a, an arbitrary, you know, find an arbitrator, somebody who's outside the situation to speak into it. And I think, man, once you've done those things, then I would move forward. I just actually had somebody that emailed me this week uh, saying, hey, you know, I've been going to counseling. I think I'm moving towards divorce. And I was actually really encouraged by this, not the divorce, but she said, my counselor says I should seek spiritual advice from my church. I was pretty impressed with that, Mm -hmm. that the counselor is saying, hey, before you move forward on this decision, let's circle the wagons and make sure that we involve a spiritual leader at your church. And so she reached out to me uh, so that I can, you know, speak into that situation. And I don't know what I'm going to say because we haven't met yet. So, you know, I got to take each situation. I know that usually uh, I am opposed to both the husband and the wife because I'm on the side of the marriage, but that's not always the case. So be very, very careful. So church, the Bible, and then counsel. Those mm-hmm. are the three ways that you know. Good stuff. Okay, so Lori writes in, she says, I am reading Matthew and in chapter one, verse 16, it states, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, acknowledging that Joseph was not his biological father, but just the husband of Mary. So, so much importance, Lori asks, is placed on Jesus's lineage back to Abraham and who begat who. So how is Jesus in Abraham's line when it technically wasn't Joseph's seed? Yeah, so uh, Matthew is uh, Joseph's line, and most scholars believe Luke is Mary's line. So both, both lineages come from David, so on both sides. So um, Jesus is, is blessed in that way. And so ultimately it, it does matter because Joseph has a role. And so, yeah, well, you know, he was not uh, the sperm donor in this situation. That was the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures. Joseph is still the dad. And, uh, and so it's still appropriate that he's in that line. And so, you know, Jesus not only is uh, conceived by God, but he is in the line of Joseph. And so both matter. So he is both physically and spiritually uh, in that line. And, um, you know, that's something that's important. And, you know, when you go back to Genesis, Abraham says this, I don't have a biological son of my own. He says, my servant will become my heir. So in Judaism, if you didn't have a male heir, you could, you know, send everything over to your servant. And so, Mm -hmm. 
that's why it matters. Joseph is the biological heir, according to the family line of David. So he still can pass this on to his son, even if it's an adopted son, or in this case, you know, um, the servant of God, the one and only Messiah, the King. Hmm. So that's why it matters. And so I, I think it's overkill on Matthew's part, but he's just trying to say, hey, look, this guy is not anti-Jewish. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's what a lot of Jews believe because of our uh, hostile history one towards another, and both camps have sinned against each other. You read the Gospels and the Epistles, and it's on the Jewish side, and then you look at, for most of the last 2,000 years, it's been on the Christian side, but there's been ugliness on both sides. And so I think Matthew is going overboard to say, hey, look, Christianity is not a offshoot or a cult of Judaism. It is the fulfilled Judaism. This is, this is the call from the very beginning, and so that's why they're doing that. Great question. Cool. So this weekend you taught about Cain and Abel and how basically anger destroys relationships. So let's debrief it. That's right. So starting in Genesis 4, um, verses 4 through 5, it says, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And then in Hebrews 11, 4, it actually gets repeated again that it says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. So how did both Cain and Abel know to even bring offerings to God when they're like the first kids ever? And then what made Abel's offering so much better? Yeah, so chapter four is when worship begins. Uh, So at the end of chapter four, uh, it says this is when people first began to worship the Lord. So apparently there's an understanding that is just there and we don't know where it comes, but it's that we should bring God something, that God has blessed us. And so even though we're under the curse, so remember in Genesis three, there's a curse on the ground, there's a curse on work, there's a curse on childbirth because of sin. And so really, they're really thankful that anything grew. Think about that, that mm-hmm. any animals are born because, you know, like if if your land is cursed, if your, uh, you know, womb is cursed, if your livelihood and your marriage is cursed, you're going to be thankful when the baby's born or when, you know, the calf gives birth or the wheat grows. And so it's this coming back to God and saying, thank you for not abandoning us completely. So Mm -hmm. God's grace and mercy is still woven in there in amongst the curse. And so they're doing that. So Cain uh, brings uh, stuff from the field and Abel brings stuff from, um, you know, the livestock. And so, and so they do this. And so um, one is accepted and one is another. And it has nothing to do with, you know, animal sacrifice versus grain sacrifice. And they go back and forth and people argue over this. What makes a sacrifice acceptable to God is not the content of the sacrifice, it's the attitude of the heart. And so that's what Hebrews is telling us. So it's not that, you know, Abel got it right and Cain got it wrong. It's that Abel's heart was right and Cain's heart was wrong. And so we see this in Corinthians when God says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. It's not just the gift that God cares about, but it's the attitude of the gift. And, uh, you know, I've been working with um, my oldest daughter. She's in college. She now is working, uh, you know, headed towards graduation here in a couple years. And she's starting to make money. And so we started to talk about the issue of tithing. And, uh, you know, tithing is something that Tammy and I have done for the last 20 years. We believe in it. And if you don't know what tithing is, it's giving the Lord 10% of your income. And, uh I do that uh, for a couple reasons, but uh, you know we can get into that later later time. But the main reason is Malachi says it's blessed, and, mm-hmm. and if there's anything that I know that I can do that is blessed by God, I want to participate in that. So Tammy and I decided 20 years ago we'd rather live on 90% of our income that's blessed than 100% of our income that's not. Now we have adult kids, right? So they get to do what they want to do. Um, it's their life. It's their choices. We've raised them up, and so my oldest daughter Madison hadn't tithed yet on the money that she'd made, and so. My wife had a conversation. I had a conversation, you know, but ultimately, right, you can't force someone to tithe. And this is why I think churches or organizations that mandate the tithe 
don't understand it. I mean, it's like forcing somebody to give a gift. I mean, yeah. why would you want to do that? And so it was interesting. I had a conversation with Maddie after she wrote the check and it was for a couple hundred bucks because she hadn't tithed on all the money that she made. So it was a fairly large check for a 20 year old uh, young oh, woman yeah, to write. And um, I asked her, how did it feel? And it was, I really appreciated what she said. She said, I was surprised. I said, what do you mean? She said, it actually felt really good. Hmm. And I said, that's because your heart is in the right place. Hmm. Um, you know, and for everybody who thinks, oh, Sandals all about money, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever. You know, I pastor a mega church and I'm not rich. You know, I have payments, bills, just like everybody else. Cause I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for God. And I'm teaching my kids this cause I believe this. I believe it's a principle that works. And I told her, I said, your mother and I have tithed since before you were born and we've been blessed and we've never, we've never had want. Uh, I, I love tithing cause it forces you to budget. And I think it forces you to work generosity into um, what you do. And generosity, true generosity always starts with God. So I've been talking with this guy who says, well, my tithe is I give to my family members. I said, that is not, that is not tithing. Mm-hmm. Tithing is giving to the Lord. Generosity starts with God and then it works its way out into other relationships. You can't rob Peter to pay Paul. That's a churchy way of saying, you can't take from God to give to others. You need to give to the church. You need to honor him. And that's what I've taught my children. And so that's what's happening here. So right after the fall, there's this sense, and you're going to get more of this in Genesis, right? So everything that we, we receive in the law is really seen in Genesis, most of it. There's this sense that we ought to give God something back. Like God has blessed us. What, what can we give back? Now, ultimately, as Christians, we know it's ourselves. God has given so much to us, we give ourselves to him. And you know, saying, saying yes to Jesus is learning to say no to yourself. But here in Genesis chapter three, they're just figuring it out. Remember, this is the start. This is the beginning of all things. People are just figuring out. They're separate from God. They're, they're trying to figure out how do we connect with God. And so in Genesis uh, four, it's worship. And so that worship starts off with offerings between two brothers and ultimately manifests itself by, you know, whole families and whole peoples calling on the name of the Lord at the end of chapter four. And so here, these two bring it and Cain's sacrifice is rejected. And it's not rejected because of the content, but of, of his offering, but of his heart, his attitude mm-hmm. is wrong. And uh, Abel's heart was right. Abel was glad to do it and cheerful and gave it in the right way and uh, loved God. And unfortunately, there was some, 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 there was some rivalry here that we talked a lot about this weekend that I think got the best of Cain. And ultimately uh, it destroyed him and God warns him, but he doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. So, on that topic of rivalry, um, I think you talked about a lot this weekend that rivalry is really what can destroy relationships. So how do we kind of keep becoming, keep from becoming rivals in some of our most important relationships with our spouse or our siblings? Or yeah, and so I think the way I said let it me was, answer that, ask that question. I think I could ask it a little bit better. <laughs> Who do you like better, Pastor yes. Matt? That's, yeah, that's where I want to start. Yeah, I like you both <laughs> as individuals. Great. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the thing: is is whenever there's a competition. By definition, someone has to win and someone has to lose. Mm-hmm. And so this is in your marriage, you keep score. Okay, well, you got to do this. Now I get to do this. And it's constantly one-upping each other. Well, you got to buy the bed frame, so I get to buy this. Or you go in on this trip and I get to do that. When it's a competition, at the end, the marriage loses. If, if one person has to win and the other person has to lose, and, and it's tragic. Uh, couples compete for the amount of money they make, for the prestige that they have. You know, um, for, They try to constantly one-up each other you're going to destroy the marriage. And so this has been a real challenge for Tammy and I because we're, we're, um, we're both very, very competitive people by nature and we're, we're highly driven people by nature. And um, you know, I just had to learn, I have to be very, very careful because my personality 
you know, likes to win and, I, and I'm louder than she is. I, if it's the loud game, I can win. So I have to be very, very careful that she's heard, that I don't cut her off, that I don't interrupt her because what she starts counting in our marriage is how many times she's lost and I'm not paying attention. And so then, then I was just like, okay, well, I gotta back off. So co- don't compete in your marriage. Don't compete in your friendships, mm-hmm. right? Guys do this. Why? You know, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Well, that's that whole American thing. Well, they got a new house where well, we got to do this or if they can do that. I remember when I was a youth pastor and Tammy and I bought a new car, which by the way, we shouldn't have bought, couldn't afford it. And I remember there's this couple about 10 years older than us. And this is what the wife said in front of me. She said, if Matt and Tammy can do it, we can do it. Which is the stupidest form of logic you could, po- hmm. you could ever possibly use <laughs> yeah. to, ration, to, to, to reason out making a purchase. Like if, if, you know, I mean, can you imagine if Stephanie was like, well, well, Matt and Tammy do this. Why make more money than Stephanie does? And yeah. so, you know, it's, I know what she makes. And I know what I make. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, why on earth would you do that? And so the question is not, you know, if they did it, you need it. The question is, do you need to do it? Mm-hmm. And so whenever we're competing with friendships, you know, well, they got to go on a trip. We go on a trip. And I remember a couple of years ago, we went on vacation with some friends and they make way more money than us. And I just went to my wife like day three. I was like, we're eating McDonald's for the rest of the trip. And she's like, why? I'm like, we can't compete with them in terms of finances. They can afford to go to a nice restaurant every single night while we're here. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and, you know, and that's fine. That's their lifestyle. That's, that's how much money they make. I'm a pastor. I can't do that. And so I just said, look, we're not gonna, and, and that's why so many people get in so much financial trouble because they try to pretend like they can, they can compete in that race. And there's just, look, there's people at Sandals Church that make a lot less than me. And there's people that make a lot more than me. What I have to learn to do is be a steward of my money where God has placed me and, and being happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, two weeks ago, more money, more stuff, more problems. And so mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I'm not gonna be responsible like they are for stewarding the money that they have. So- that's what we have covered, what marriages, mm-hmm. covered friendships. And then here's the huge one. And obviously this is just rich in this passage and it's the sibling rivalry. Um, you know, sibling rivalry is a classic. It goes all the way back to this, you know, and I said this this weekend, it's so important if you're a parent, please listen to me. You know, don't treat your kids as equals, treat them as individuals. So what equals say is they're the same. And so what that means is if they're the same, They've got to they've got to outdo each other. But if they're individuals, they can be on their own course. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my mom and dad, I love them, God bless them. They worked very very hard to make sure that things were equal for my brother and I. But things didn't need to be equal. They needed we need to be treated as individuals because my brother and I raised in the same home. We're only two and a half years apart. We couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are oil and water. <laughs> we are radically. You, you worked with us when he was here. Radically, radically different. Um, I mean, if you asked us questions probably on this topic, he would probably give you exact opposite advice, you know, that I'm giving. We're just that way. Um, we needed to be treated very, very differently um, because, you know, um, we're individuals. We're not equals. And so in our society, we value equality, right? So equality has become this buzzword for what it means is we value everyone. Well, mm-hmm. everyone is valued, but not everyone is equal in terms of gift, strength, wisdom, height. And so what happens in this story? I mean, ultimately, who is Abel, or excuse me, Cain mad at? The the text says he's mad at God. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens if everything needs to be equal, which by the way, is is life equal? Do we all get to live the same amount of time? Are we all born in the same home with the same structure, the same healthy parents, the same college education, right? Nothing in life is fair. Now, God's love for us is the same, but life is not the same. And God has placed each and every one of us in a situation to bring about the very best for us on our individual track. 
So, so God has not made everything fair. But in our society, right, fairness is, is the highest. Now, what fairness does inevitably is it takes the legs out of those who are talented and or different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't, we don't want to worship sameness as our culture does. Everybody needs to be the same. You know, men and women are the same. I, I mean, you know some guys, are they the same? No. No. What, your wife, are you and Lindy the same? No, no. No. So saying things, you know, I mean, saying something is not equal doesn't mean that they're not equally valued. So people always say this, well, men and women are equal. Yeah, they're both fruit, but, you know, men are oranges and women are apples. Those are not the same. They're radically different. My wife is radically different than me. My brother and I are radically different. And so learning to be individuals. And so here's the beauty of that if you're a parent, if you can put them on an individual track and we've had three kids, all three of my kids, very different, very, very different. At one time we had three kids going to three different schools. I kid you not. Mm -hmm. Because they're all different. Their needs were different and they didn't excel in the same places. They didn't excel in the same ways. They had different needs, different values. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, that would drive me crazy. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. We were able to do that. Three different kids in three different schools. and it worked for us, but you know I can't have the same expectations for each child. I have to have different, unique expectations for each kid because when kids feel like they have to do the same thing, ultimately what happens? They're going to be mad at God. Well, I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not. I'm not enough. And the reality is, you're exactly how God made you to be. Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. Be who He's called you to be and serve Him. And so, because Cain and Abel are rivals, instead of Cain doing you know, uh, a self-evaluation and looking at himself because he's so used to measuring where he is in life based upon, am I head of my brother or not? And you know, isn't it amazing? He's the older brother anyways. Mm-hmm. So the blessings are all his anyways, but he's jealous of his younger brother. And so that's sad. And so ultimately he's angry at God, but his anger results in the death of his brother. And so, you know, my prayer for my kids when they fight, when they argue, and they love to point out each other's faults, you know, we just, we, I feel like our, our family theme verse is why look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have the log in your own? Because my kids are like, have x-ray vision for the faults of one another, um, as we all do. But in our family, I think maybe we're just more, more real in some, some families. I constantly have to bring them back to that. I'm like, okay, I hear what you, you, you're doing with your brother or sister. And the truth is, you know, Madison needs to be Madison and figure out who God has called her to be. Kennedy's Kennedy and Ethan's Ethan. And even if you're identical twins, you're not the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't dress them the same. We don't make them do the same things. They get to do their things. And that's important. Um, They get to be individuals. And I think that that's important so that they're not competing with each other. And when you're an individual, you don't have to compete against each other. You can compliment each other. And so here's what I learned with my wife is my wife's personality, my wife's strengths, my wife's giftedness, because she's an individual and she's not my equal, so we're not competing, I can, I can celebrate her because she's not one-upping me. Mm-hmm. She's being who God called her, her to be. And so God loves her and he sees her as an individual and he's gifted her uniquely. And guess what? When we're not competing, we can compliment. And so um, I would say the greatest sin of my life, because I'm so competitive, is when you see other people as competitors, you become envious and when you're focused on everyone else, you're never gonna be who God's called you to be. I wish you could go back to little Matt, you know, when he first started off and say, don't look at Rick Warren, don't look at Bill Hybels, don't look at Greg Laurie. They're on the path God has called them to. And they're gonna be accountable to God for the path he's called them to. 
God has called you, Matt. And so what your deepest question needs to be every day is not what is Rick doing, what, not what is Greg doing, not what is uh, Bill Hybels. Some of you guys don't know who Bill Hybels. He's a, a big pastor in uh, Chicago. Chicago area. Um, but w- what has God called you to do, Matt? And so here's why I got discouraged because sandals didn't grow as fast as those churches. You know, I don't have the impact or the influence that Pastor Greg has. Well, God hasn't called me to do that. Now, if we're competing, right, then I, could, I need to be upset. But if we're individuals, we're just complimenting each other and we're working on the same team for the glory of God. So learn that shift because anger, the sin of anger that we talked about this week is always the result of, you know, comparing yourself to others. And then ultimately what that is, is you're mad at God. It's really a sin. And that's why I love Genesis four. The text says who he's mad at. He's mad at God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not only is he mad, but he's not honest. God's like, what's wrong with your face? He's like, nothing. Why are you asking? <laughs> Right? It's like your kids, right? You got little kids now. Yeah. What's wrong? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're toy lying. It's true. They're like, nothing's wrong. Like, well, tell your face. Because <laughs> your face says something's wrong. So uh, each week here on The Debrief, as we go through Relationship Toolkit Series, we're going to start tackling different categories of relationships. This week, we're going to tackle marriage. Here's what I was thinking. Adam and Eve, they had this sin. Uh, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Adam blames Eve. Now they've got a kid who just killed one of their other ones. And they're going to live for like 900 more years. This is going to be uh, some marital tension. Yeah. Can you imagine? I cannot. I cannot. No. <laughs> and, and here's the Take thing me is, now, Lord. you know, there's forgiveness for sins, but that doesn't mean that you get to pass on the consequence. Exactly. You know? And so, you know, I mean, right? What's the old saying? If you're going to do the crime, you need to be willing to do the time. And, you know, God may forgive you forever, but you're going to live with it in this life. And so, you know, my kids suffer for the consequences of my sin. My marriage suffers the consequences of my sin. So I can experience grace and forgiveness and we can still incur judgment, uh, not judgment forever from God, but just the reality of sin is bad and there is consequence. And so we need to deal with that. And Adam and Eve had to, um, you know, it's so interesting. What what did their kids catch from their parenting? Blame. Mm. Hmm. You know, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) Whoa. Uh, it's not my job. Uh, it's not my job to look after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. He was your little brother and you, you know, you let him out into the field and you killed him. Interesting. You know, and uh, and again, so Adam and Eve hid in the trees. Cain thinks he can hide in his words. Mm-hmm. So see how removed we've got in one generation from God? Mm-hmm. In the first generation, they think they got to hide in the trees. The second generation is, I can just lie to his face. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's what sin does. I mean, sin deceives. Mm-hmm. And who does it deceive the most? Ourselves. And so Cain, you know, I mean, look, guys, you can fool me. You can fool the church. You can't fool God. God knows. God knows. And that's why we need to confess our sins, First uh, John 1, 9, because he is able and willing to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so you can confess your sins now to God, or you can deal with them on judgment day. I strongly suggest <laughs> confessing them now. Okay, Stephanie, you're about to get married soon. You can uh, give us that first episode, first question. Okay. Uh, so in several of your messages, when you've talked about anger before, um, and you especially talk about this with fights in marriage, you often mention Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, which says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Can you talk about how that practically works out, not letting the sun go down in your anger? Because I hear that a lot when people talk about, oh yeah, if you're, you know, when you're getting married, you have fights. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. What Stay awake all night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Christians do. Stay awake all night and fight. Mm. Well, here's the beauty of staying awake all night. Sooner or later, you're physically going to give in. So you will physically give up before you emotionally do. So if you want to go to bed, you need to you need to do the right thing, <laughs> right? I mean, you can't stay up forever. Um, so, 
Yeah. So remember I've said this, you know, uh, somebody retweeted me a couple weeks ago, you know, anger is like milk. If you leave it out, it goes spoiled. So anger is a momentary gift of God. So anger is that burst of strength that you need to tap into if somebody breaks into your house. Like, you know, you get married, if somebody breaks in, you know, you want Tyler to be able to summon the wrath of God within him and take care of whoever that is that's breaking into the house. And so, you know, I believe that's every man's responsibility. Um, unless you're in one of those rare situations where your wife is twice as strong as you are and she's a CrossFit genius. But, um, you know, for, for most instances, right, it's the guy's responsibility to step up, take the bullet and die for the family. You, you need that. But anger is usually a secondary emotion. So it's usually not the primary emotion. So what happens is in, in relationships is we don't deal with our frustrations and so we store anger. And this is why it blows up and it comes out and nobody knows where did that come from? And it comes from within. And... Um, you know, I did this illustration on the weekend where I had this bucket and I used these balls and I shook the bucket and I asked, why, why did the balls come out of the bucket? And most people would say, because, well, you shook it. Well, no, the balls come out because they were in there. Were in there. And the so place. anger only comes out because it's in there. And so people say, well, you make me so angry or you make me this or you make me that. Well, you're like Cain, you're blaming. You're blaming God, you're blaming somebody else for something that's in you. So this is what God said to Cain. He said, Anger is crouching at the door and you must master it. Hmm. So you can't say the devil made me do it because the devil has to ask your permission to do it. So you have to take responsibility for your anger, for your wrath, for your malice, and you have to deal with that. And some of us have a lot of anger stored up because we've had to collect that to protect ourselves as a child. And so let me say this to you, those of you who grew up in abusive homes, or in very dangerous situations. Your ang- what protected you as a child will destroy you as an adult. Mm. And so you need to have healing in those areas so that you can work through those things because the anger that you save to protect you as a little child will destroy your marriage as an adult, will destroy what, what could cause you to become the very abuser that you swore that you would never become. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to happen. So you need to deal with that anger. And so the words here in the Hebrew is really frightening. I mean, the, the same word crouching is used of a lion. Like waiting to pounce, waiting to destroy you, and um, you know, it's just it's just something that you need to deal with. And so, uh, and just know that your anger is never self righteous or, or never righteous. It's only self righteous. And most of us are angry uh, because of one of two reasons: sin or or um, uh, pride. So pride is the sin of everyone else. You know, the, the world needs to be perfect. It's not perfect. So I'm angry, or you know, envy. I don't understand why you're not treating me or acknowledging me for, you know, what I need to be. And so um, you need to deal with those two aspects. You know, am I prideful in this situation? Am I envious of something that's happening? So, you know, Cain is mad that his sacrifice was rejected, but he's also mad that Abel's was accepted. Hmm. So he's prideful that his was rejected and he's envious that Abel's. And so both of those are external emotions that's not dealing with this heart issue. Why did, why, he'd never asked the question, why did God reject my offering? Mm-hmm. What do I need to change, God, so that you will approve of my offering? Instead, it's easier to blame everybody else. And unfortunately, that incurs murder, which ultimately gets him expelled from his entire community and safety in it. Okay, so Amanda writes in, she says, if you and your spouse have offended each other years ago, but one spouse refuses to forgive the other, how do you move on from the issue when you're still married? It seems like no matter how often I apologize or admit I was wrong and forgive myself, it is never enough. Even though I've been able to forgive him completely, how long do I wait to receive the same forgiveness from him? How long before things get unhealthy? Yeah, so I don't know what happened in your marriage, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine it was something pretty rough. So um, I, I, I think that unforgiveness is rooted in fear. 
So I'm going to guess, I don't know, you're right. I, I don't, I'm not your counselor. I'm not sitting in meetings with you guys. I'm not in your community group, but I'm going to guess he's afraid. And what he's afraid of is being vulnerable and hurt again. And so what we hold on to to protect ourselves is the spirit of unforgiveness. But what we don't realize is ultimately what it's doing is it's destroying the very thing we need the most, which is a loving, grace-filled relationship. And so, um, you know, my prayer for your husband, uh, it's her husband, right? Mm-hmm. My prayer for your husband is that he, he would look at himself um, no matter what it is, right? Even adultery, if you decide to, you know, work through that issue, um, Jesus says, if you've even looked at a person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So all of us are guilty on some level of that. So we need to have some kind of compassion for our spouse who's made a mistake if we've chosen to stay together and work that out. But the bottom line is you don't have real intimacy in a real marriage until grace can be given. Grace unlocks intimacy. Blame doesn't help anybody, right? Genesis 3. It wasn't me, it was the woman. It wasn't me, it was the snake. And look where that got him. We got mm-hmm. Cain killing you know, their beloved baby boy, Abel, and that's not what you want in your family. And just know this, a spirit of unforgiveness, you are teaching your children not to forgive. And so guess what you're gonna get when you're old and you need your kids? They're gonna harbor resentment and bitterness and you're gonna pass this on from one generation to the next. Grace is contagious, but so is a critical, unforgiving spirit. Yeah. Ultimately to move on, you have to have grace and uh, your husband is going to need to die to his pride. And if he's going to love you, um, he's going to have to forgive you because there's no intimacy, true intimacy between you guys until there's forgiveness and the relationship is restored. And uh, and, I, and I get it for him. It's really, really hard. Um, there's probably a lot of pain and a lot hurt there, but ultimately by not forgiving you, he's hurting himself. He's actually wounding himself. And uh, I mean, just like, what God said in his word, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is, think about that, its desire for you. Imagine a drooling lion, like my dog, when I feed my dog, the second I get the dog food out, she just like, it's like a faucet comes on in her mouth and she, she's a mastiff. She just starts drooling. It's so disgusting. She's waiting and she knows food is coming. This is what God is saying about this, this spirit of anger and unforgiveness here and spirit of self-righteousness, he's saying that's feeding the appetite of the demon that wants to devour you. Mm. And, and right, so we always say this, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, Satan has a plan for your life too. And it's a plan to destroy you. It's a plan to maim you. I mean, Jesus says this, he says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd dies for a sheep. He says, though there are other shepherds that are wolves that want to come into the pen and devour you. Mm-hmm. And that's who Satan is. He masquerades as a shepherd, right? And so what is anger? It's this comforting, protecting emotion and it saves you. But all of a sudden, guess what it does? It destroys the very things that you need. And um, everybody needs to exist in a relationship of grace, everyone, or you don't have relationships. You can't have friendships. You can't have relationships with your family. And you certainly cannot have a marriage without grace. And, uh, you know, we're going to end again, we'll probably talk about this every week, but we're going to end this series with Joseph and all the horrible things that his brothers did to him. Horrible, sold him into slavery, told his dad he was dead, right? I mean, did all of those things to him. And ultimately they stand before their brother who has the power and the authority to hold them accountable for a real sin, a real sin. Mm -hmm. And he says, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And ultimately he says these words, who am I to sit in the seat of God? And he gives grace, which by the way, spoiler alert, Genesis ends with a picture of Christ. Where does Christ sit? Hmm. Joseph sat at the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And what does he do? He intercedes on our behalf. 
Because if Joseph doesn't intercede, what do you think Pharaoh would do? Mm. He'd kill those guys mm-hmm. with, with, like, with, with, without even a, a second thought. And rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, really, you threw your brother in a cave and left him for dead. You told your old man dad that he was dead. You, re- you ripped up his, his robe that his dad had personally gave to your little brother. You put animal blood on it. I mean, think about, think about how detailed they were in lying to their father. And Joseph says this, who am I to sit in the seat of God? And let me just say this, for anybody who cannot forgive someone, you are sitting in the seat of God and it is a weight you cannot bear. The weight of judgment will crush crush your soul. Mm. Only God's spirit can hold the weight of judgment. That's it. And um, that weight will only crush you. That picture you painted of your dog is like my boys every time they find out they're going to get Rice Krispies for breakfast. Mm. <laughs> I like Rice Krispies too. They're pretty tasty. Yeah, Snap, crackle, yeah. pop. pop. That, that yeah. extra pop. All right. This next question comes from Kristalina. And she says, even before my husband and I got married, there's been tension between me and my mother-in-law. There's still tension and so much so that now that we have a baby, I really don't feel comfortable having my mother-in-law as a sitter. Mm. I feel she doesn't respect us or see us as a couple and only communicates with him and not me. I feel uncomfortable with someone watching my child who finds it hard to even see me as my husband's wife and put my interest in mine. Am I out of place for feeling this way? Yeah. Welcome to marriage. Um, You know, I I think relationships between mother-in-laws and their daughter-in-laws is brutal. Um, I tell my wife all the time, man, you you gotta be better. You gotta be better. You gotta get over these issues. Because the reality is you gotta think as a mother, you've made all the decisions, you've controlled every aspect of this person's livelihood. And then all of a sudden, so much of who you are is not needed. So what do you do? So a lot of times mother-in-laws continue to control and where do they exercise their influence in the only place they have it, which is in this case, their son. Cause she doesn't, she doesn't have this track record with you. She was not your caretaker. She was not your provider. And the truth is, you know, all mothers feel like they did it better. That's just the truth. You know, my mom, I love her. She always says this to my wife. Wouldn't you rather? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, my mom has a set way of doing things and you know, it's, it's, created a great life for her, but my mom is different from my wife and I love both of these women dearly. But, you know, you, you, you got to step in and just say, look, this is the way, you know, my wife Tammy's going to do it. This is the way, you know, that my mom did it. And, and so just so you know, I think all families, this is what Tammy and I believe, is that our family is the culmination of the best of both of our families. We're not a carbon copy of either. Mm-hmm. So my parents did some things really well. Tammy's parents did, did some things really well. And there were some things that we we both want to do differently. And so we took the best from my mom and dad. We took the best from her mom and dad. And we've tried to create that for our family. Now, our kids are going to get married and they're going to do the same thing because Tammy and I are sinners and we're not perfect parents and we've messed up. I tell all the time, you know, I'll pay for my kids counseling when they're older because, <laughs> you know, no parent is perfect. In spite of all of our love and our best efforts, we're all going to tweak our kids a little bit one way or the other. That's just the reality of being yep. fallen parents. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so back to that, what, what I would say is you're going to have to um, first speak to your husband. And so I, I would just ask you to speak to your husband and your husband needs to speak to his mom. It's best that you just, you know, use him as a buffer and have him articulate uh, as best you can, you know, what's comfortable and not comfortable. Don't use your children as a threat. I see people do that all the time. I mean, the worst thing that you can do to her is pull them away unless she's a danger. Um, You know, we had this thing with my mom, you know, my mom and dad, they love fast food and, and Tammy and I, we just, we just don't eat a lot of fast food. And so whenever my mom would come, you know, the kids eat fast food every single mm-hmm. day, drive my wife crazy. 
and my wife would feel like, you know, oh, she doesn't respect my boundaries. I was like, no, my mom just likes fast food. It's, you know, it's not an issue of your boundaries and, and it's not going to kill our kids. Yeah. You know, if they eat Del Taco for the week while we're gone, they're going to be fine. Uh, you know, maybe have a little diarrhea, but that's on my mom. She's got to clean it up, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so TMI, sorry. But, you know, I mean, you, you also have to realize that when you're entrusting your child to someone else, you don't get to articulate every aspect of how, you know, your mother-in-law is not a robot. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't plug in the code for what's going to happen. Then she needs to do all that. I mean, is your child loved? Is your child safe and, and, and cared for? And if those things are, are true, man, go enjoy the evening with your husband and get over yourself. That's what I would say. Is that too harsh? Well, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, and so you know, we're all super protective of our kids. And, you know, my advice would be have five or six more, and then you'll be dropping them off with total strangers. You know? <laughs> well, that's how it is for us. We have four kids, and anytime we drop them off at my parents' house, they're like, we're doing whatever we have to, okay? Yeah. So we're feeding them. If we give them, we're going to give them candy, 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 because that makes them better yeah. with us while we're here. If you want us to babysit them for several hours, that's the price you get to pay. And well, like, and that's yeah, the other thing is, you, you know, Go for you it. think you're tired as a 20-year-old or something when you have kids. Wait till you're 60 and you're trying to keep up with those little terrorists, <laughs> you know? So just have some grace for her and just, you know, just know that respect goes both ways. Your mother-in-law needs to respect you as an up-and-coming mom who's learning these things, who's super sensitive, but you also need to learn to respect her. And there might be some wisdom that she has there you know, in dealing with these kids that you don't see. And so my prayer for you is that you could figure out how to glean wisdom from her and your mother and all could learn healthy boundaries from you. And so, you know, relationships are give and take. I mean, that's one-on-one, it's give and take. And unfortunately, mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws uh, are a whole lot more like Cain and Abel than they want to think. I actually think the answer that you shared with that last person too could apply here because of the relational distance between um, Kristalina and her mother-in-law, just that idea that grace unlocks intimacy. Mm -hmm. Anywhere that she might be able to extend grace to her mother-in-law is a place where she is creating opportunity to yeah, absolutely. grow that relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah. who's, supposed, who's going with the next question? I, I was going to let you. Okay, it's my turn. I couldn't, I couldn't quite remember. I was uh, in the zone with uh, the answers here. All right, <laughs> I'm going to read this one from Nancy. You got it? Yes. Okay. Okay, I'll do my part of the show. I met my husband. I feel. See, you should read this one. It's a female one, but it's good. Oh, the next, my next question is going to actually speak to that. So. Oh, okay. Oh, see, there you go. Oh. The next question is from Steph. Is that you, Steph? Yeah, that's me. Amazing. I know. Nancy, I met my husband during a spiritual funk. We've been together for 10 years and have two boys together. The more I get into the word, the more I see I should have waited for God instead of giving into my flesh. Don't get me wrong. I love my husband, but I love God more. He believes in God, but I'm not sure that if the relationship aspect is there or what tr his true belief entails. We attend church, but I feel like he goes more so on the account of me and our boys than his own or true love for God. I try not to judge as I am learning to love him through it and pray for God to soften his heart. But much like with my dad, our conversations about faith lead to tension or arguments. How can I help him with the everyday struggle of living more for Jesus and dying to himself? A lot there. Yeah. Um Let's start with the positive. Praise God, he comes to church. Absolutely. You know, so he's coming to church with you, and that's great. And just just know you're not his Holy Spirit. So mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is his Holy Spirit. So you just got to know that. And uh, you know, so so what what is the curse of being a woman to try to drive the man train? That's what it is. And so you got to be really really careful because even in Christianity, you can try to drive that train, and your husband ultimately needs to do that. So let's start with the positive. He comes to church. That's great loves you, is faithful, whatever. Um, I would not dwell on what you coulda, coulda, shoulda. There's nothing helpful in mm -hmm. there 
from going back and looking at what you should have done relationally because all that's going to do is cause you to not love your husband. And the Bible says that the primary way that you can influence your husband is by being a godly woman, loving him, serving him, you know, uh, meeting his needs and being the very best you can do. And if he asks why you're so great, talk about God. Those are the moments where you can talk about God. Those are the moments where you can influence him and care for him. So I would just say, how, how do you lead him? You need to start leading yourself. And that is by praying for a spirit of grace for him and really, really trying to look at the things that he does do. And so, man, maybe you didn't marry you know, a spiritual champion. Okay, well, welcome to most relationships. Be thankful that he's there. Be thankful for what he's doing. You know, figure out ways to... Just, you know, thank him for going to work and, and you know, uh, you know doing the things he does, coming to church, being faithful to you. I mean, there's probably a thousand women in our church that would love to trade, you know, because they have, they're in some very, very abusive and terrible situations. So be so thankful and so grateful. Having said that, you know, get in a marriage small group. Uh, we have a, a small group uh, at our church called Spiritual Mitch Matt. Miss, Mitch? Mismatch. Mismatch. I don't know why I can say that. You know, and you can get in that and learn to, you know, Help lead your family spiritually through that process. That one's for women only, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't, I don't think we have one for guys no. in that. So, you know, that's what I would encourage you to do. But just let me just just challenge you. Just don't be critical of him. And, and you know, guys are just going to be different and process things in a, in a different way. So the best thing is, you know, you get in a group and then I would encourage him at some point to get in a guy's group. You know, uh, maybe do the path or something like that where you can learn and grow. And so most guys are just afraid of being embarrassed. Most guys, just so you know, are not readers. So what does that mean? Most guys in our church don't know the Bible because you got to read it mm -hmm. um, or listen to it. You listen to it on a daily basis, right? I do. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's that option. Um, you know, and again, that's why we do the debrief. Um, that, that's why we try to slow everything down so that we can get guys up to speed because they operate in a different way. It doesn't mean they're not as smart. It doesn't mean they don't care. It just means that those things manifest themselves differently in their lives. So give them grace, 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 grace. And uh, just like God gives you grace and pray for him and thank God for him and honor him in front of your kids. You have two kids that they desperately need to see a beautiful marriage and, and they need to see real love and, and caring for each other. Because just know this, our children recreate the events that they see in their homes. So you can perpetuate this brokenness generation after generation after generation. And so, you know, just know that it's not just your love life that's at stake, but your children's future love life that's at stake because they're going to replay the events of their childhood in their adulthood, most likely. I mean, obviously there's healing and we can all change. And that's why we're at church because we're trying to transform that. But the best way to give your kids a great future is to love each other as husband and wife. And so my heart goes out to you. I'll be praying for you. And yes, if you're single, please listen, listen, listen to what she said. Religious values don't mean anything in dating. Mm -hmm. It is everything in marriage. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter hardly at all in dating because you're, you're hot for each other and you just want to make out all the time. And, yeah. you know, it's all physical, right? It doesn't matter if they're Lutheran, Catholic, or Buddhist. You're like, this, this dude is hot or this girl is hot and, oh my gosh, we're made for each other. Then all of a sudden you get married and you realize, wow, there's a spiritual gap between us that's gigantic. And then you find yourself longing and hurting. So if you're a single woman or man, please listen to this and know that this is a sincere cry of her heart and this is a heartache. And she said, I should have listened. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, wait, 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 wait. Don't be afraid to wait. You know, um, I feel like Stephanie needs to chime in here because, I mean, how long have I known you? 10 years? 
Um, sure. Or like at least Longer. like five. Yeah. You've been single ever since I've known you. Mm-hmm. And so you're how old now? 31. 31 years old. And you know, there's been times where there's been heartache, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I've tried to hug you and encourage you and you know, you're beautiful. You're going to make it. All guys are idiots. I don't know how many times I've said that, but I've said, you need to wait. Don't mm-hmm. get desperate. And she's seen her friends mm-hmm. and we're not going to name anyone, but seen, you know, speed up that process mm-hmm. to their own heartache. And what I was so proud about you is you waited, waited, waited. Mm-hmm. And God brought you this great guy. Yeah. And um, you would have loved to have been married five, six years ago, right? Yeah. But. But I'm so, so, so thankful that yeah. I didn't marry the wrong person. I mean, because yeah. being in a relationship is really hard. Like, especially as we're like, you know, walking toward marriage and we're starting to have real conversations about stuff. Like, it's challenging. And I'm really thankful that I waited for the person that God brought into my life because he is, like, he's mature and he's got his own relationship with God and we're able to walk that forward. And it's nice that I can trust him in that, like, and didn't, you know, just try to get with whoever yeah. was there and available. So yeah, I'm really thankful that I waited. Yes. I'm thankful too. So uh, he's a great guy, but you know what, man, sometimes great guys and great gals, you got to wait for them because mm-hmm. they're not everywhere. They're lurking in the back of church. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And for me too, like wait, like the whole time waiting wasn't just me sitting around not doing anything. Like God was growing me in a lot of ways and breaking me of a lot of stuff that now is very helpful in my relationship because I was able to grow and mature and grow my relationship with God on my own first. Yeah. Um, Talk real quick though about how you met him. Cause this was smooth. <laughs> Come on, he, be real. <laughs> yeah, and every, every single person, turn up the volume. Oh, listen, yeah. listen to this uh, move. This is Jesus Church. dating yeah. 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I work here on staff. I help lead our communications team. I recruit uh, volunteers who write and things like that. He signed up to volunteer with communications. Uh, he's a really, really, really talented writer. And then know. he starts writing poems. Yeah, and he starts writing poems for Easter. And I'm like, hey, hold on, who's this guy? Uh, so we just started talking while he, like, I was his contact while he was volunteering. Started talking, we started getting along really well. We were both having the, oh my gosh, I don't be the creepy staff person hitting on a guy who's just trying to volunteer. He's but the guy. But you did it anyways. I put the vibes out there. He was also <laughs> trying to make sure like, I'm not trying to like hit on this girl who works for a church when she's just doing her job. She's just being friendly. Um, but we met and like hit it off right away. I think he asked me right away. Yeah. So, so the key is she met a guy mm-hmm. who was serving mm-hmm. at church. Interesting. Not at a bar. Nope. Not at Havasu. Nope. Not in Vegas. At church, <laughs> you signed up to serve. Single ladies, are you listening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> serve. You might meet your spouse. Didn't you meet your spouse that way? Well, she knew that I was, She we both were serving at Sandals and I think that was helpful. We weren't serving in the same area. She just knew well, that I was background, background checked. checked. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah. Date someone in family ministries because you know there's a background check. <laughs> you know check. been background well, yeah. checked. And it was yeah. great too because I knew the group of guys that he was in a small group with and I knew those were really legit guys. So I knew the people that he was hearing from and surrounding himself with were really great too. So that helped vouch for him. He wasn't a total stranger. Even though I didn't know him, I knew people who did, which is yeah. helpful. I was going to say, you could also try and date somebody who's one of our ushers on the weekends because you know that we've, they've got a credit check. So they're going to be- <laughs> You've got a credit check? They do, yeah. yeah that way, with money. Just to make sure before they work with the money here on the weekends and start receiving oh. it, that they're not- yeah. I did not know that. We do. We do. See, I learned things right here on the debrief <laughs> show. Wow, we run a credit check. I think they do that to staff too. I feel like uh, they I think, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that part. See, I came here so early on. <laughs> there, was like, there was like no bar whatsoever, no background <laughs> checks or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to start a church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you willing to talk and push through push through yeah. the pain of building a church? Yeah. We'll let you be our leader. <laughs> yeah. Now there's like requirements. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, we got one last question here. This one comes in from Steph. It does. Well, it's just, you know, I was putting together the notes for the show. I receive all the questions that come in for this show. And when it come to, came to the questions about marriage, and also when we do dating in a couple of weeks, the same thing happened. All of the questions that came in were from women. Whoa. Um, we haven't gotten any questions in from guys about this. And I know you mentioned in your sermon that, you know, Adam was responsible for Eve. Guys are responsible for leading. But you look out when you preach on a Sunday. You've said this before. And it's there's a lot of women in there alone. Um, and you 
kind of did this in the last question, but what would you say to, you know, women who maybe feel like their husband isn't the leader that they wanted or women who are, you know, just trying to figure that out and not take control. You talked about the temptation for Eve is to, and the curse now on women is mm. we desire for our husbands. How, what's your advice to women in that who are trying to do this, but feel like maybe they're on their own? Yeah. So let me just say this. Uh, even my wife and I struggle with this and here's why, because my wife's picture of what male spiritual leadership looks like is coming from a woman. Mm-hmm. So let me just say that right there. You have a woman who has a picture of what male spiritual leadership looks like. Okay, so that would be just as dysfunctional as a man having a picture of what female submission looks like, right? It's going to be unhealthy because I am not a woman and she is not a man. And so I just need to remind her of that. The best thing that happened to our marriage is we had a son. It's the best thing. Because she goes, oh, it's not just you. <laughs> this is like gen- this is like a genetic mutation that men struggle with, right? So uh, my wife did not grow up in a household with guys. She does not understand guys. Uh, you know, she, like she she thinks when I watch sporting events that I have an anger issue. I'm like, babe, it's called being a man. Like I yell <laughs> at the TV. That's just what happens. So, you know. Uh, anyways, um, the reality is, guys. Okay, there's been a war on men in our culture for the last forty years. So the rise of feminism right, has been a rise of we're equal to you and we have been mistreated and all of these things. And many of those things are true, but it has been a diminishment of men. So men don't know who they are. They don't know what to do. Men cannot win in our society. So it's very, very difficult. So you have two or three generations of men now who have no picture of what it means to be a man. We, 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 don't, we don't even have that. Right now, as we speak, Boy Scouts is being sued because girls can't go. That's what's happening in our culture today. Think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the state of you can't exclusively have a group to teach boys what it means to become men, right? I mean, that that's what's happening. And, and Boy Scouts of America is going to fold. They're going to fold on it because that's our culture, which is destroying men. We tear down everything that teaches men how to be men. Like in the 1990s, there was this movement called Promise Keepers. Now think about these words, Promise Keepers. Be a man of your word. Do what you're supposed to do. Feminist attacked it, tore it down, ripped it apart, and ultimately imploded because of some own their own financial issues, but it was a wonderful movement, mm-hmm. right? Trying to recapture men. And so just know this, that anything, uh, you know, there's this billboard. I don't know if you guys will saw the news, but there's this billboard in North Carolina and it says, real men provide, real women are thankful. And all these women are protesting that. And I'm just like, okay, maybe it's a little chauvinistic, but I think a lot of women would like guys to, to get to work and provide because guys are lazy and disconnected and checked out. So it's a cultural problem. We don't know what to do with our men. And so what the Bible says is they need to to raise up and be spiritual leaders. So you take a guy who has no idea how to be a leader because he's been told his entire life he's not a leader, right? You're the same. So he... Everything about being a man is attacked. He slides back, he slips back. And then he has a woman who's been, right, empowered her entire life, the entire educational process. You're a woman, you can roar, you're equal, burn your bra, yay, women, right? All that stuff. So you have all these charged up women in our culture and you have diminished males. And then we throw them in the church and the the woman goes, and now you have to be my leader. So the woman is appointing the man to be the leader and he's, he's incompetent at it. He doesn't know how to do it. It has not been modeled to him. He's not sure what to do. And so what I would say is the greatest gift you can give your man is reassuring you love him and you appreciate anywhere he leads. So even if he messes up, celebrate his attempt. Because what happens with men today is they feel like they can't win and they just give up. Mm -hmm. No matter what I do, my wife is going to, you know, 
not follow me and I'm going to screw up. So if your husband, you know, once a month does a Bible study, great. You're going to scare him to death. You're like, every night, here's the Bible study and you're going to lead this. And he's never even read the book. You're, and the reality, some of your husbands, your kids in flip-flops and pipeline know more about the Bible than your husband does because his parents didn't take him to church. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't know and that's okay. And so encourage him that it's okay to be a beginner and say, let's figure this out together. And say, ask him as a guy, how would this be comfortable? And make it simple. You know, spiritual unity can be as simple as let's pray together. And make it quick. It doesn't have to be an hour. Make it 10 seconds. You know, Heavenly Father, uh, please bless our marriage and help us to be loving and kind to each other. Amen. And that's a great prayer. Really, really simple. And let me just pray over you and, and, and encourage them to pray with your kids. You know, kids are great at, at letting you learn to be a leader because they don't know a lot either. And so sitting down next to them and say, hey, let's pray together. And so what I do, you know, is because I try to pray with my son every day. And the reality is I don't. I don't beat myself up over the days that we miss because mm-hmm. of our schedules and our calendars. I thank God for the days that we get to pray together. And the same thing is with my wife is, you know, last year we, we were going to try to pray together every single night and we made it through like May, which is pretty good, five months. And then we, you know, with schedules and calendaring and we can't call at the same time. So now, you know, we're going to pray together, you know, whenever we can before we go to bed and there's no guilt and there's just, right, it's a celebration time. Don't make spiritual discipline something you feel bad about. Make it something that you feel good about. And, um, you know, man, if you're a wife, if you're got kids in the car, mute it and listen to this later, (laughs) right? Do fun things. If you're married after spiritual intimacy, why not follow it up with a little physical intimacy? I mean, that would be great, right? I mean, your husband's not stupid. He's going to be like, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) this intimacy thing works, man. I'm going to be a spiritual leader. And he's going to figure that out. Um, just so you know, here's, here's what traditional Judaism teaches about the Sabbath. The Sabbath day, right? You should do no work. Do you know what things were not included in work? Hmm. Lovemaking. Oh. So lovemaking was a was a Jewish like do. It was on the to-do list on the Lord's day. It wasn't work. Enjoy God and enjoy each other as a married couple. So, right? Your husband's going to be like, man, this church thing is great. We're going to go home and practice what the preacher preached. <laughs> and, and he's going to love that. And so, you know, make sure that, you know, there, that, it's not just like this, another to-do list, this another list of ways that he's failing as a man because we hear that all day, every day. Uh, here, here's the biggest shocking news to my wife. This was, this was like literally a total surprise for her that I was sensitive to her criticism. She honestly believed I didn't care. She, she honestly believed it. And maybe that's because how I responded or whatever, but the truth is it killed me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely killed me. Uh, I remember years ago we had an argument and it was actually about my mother um, and and something that was going on in my relationship with my parents and my wife and I went at it and guess what happened? I had diarrhea and I'll never forget. I was going in the bathroom and I was so sick and I remember my wife, she said this to my mom. She said, I did that to him. Hmm. She realized that her attack and her criticism, what it was doing was tearing me up on the inside. But it was the first time she realized her criticism of me was killing me. And I just remember, I just remember that moment. And she came to me, she said, I'm so sorry. Because I was in a rock and hard place. I was between my parents and her, right? And I love both. And it was really, really difficult. And it was really, really hard for me. Um, because my wife, as the woman, according to the fall, she sees a real clear way to handle things, right? Because it's easy to lead when you're in the back of the bus. 
it's hard to lead when you're the actual one driving. And, um, you know, it's like everybody knows what the president ought to do until they become president. Or, you know, everyone knows what the senior pastor ought to do until they're the senior pastor. And then all of a sudden you get in that meeting and you look at all the information and you go, oh, hmm. <laughs> Right? I mean, remember like Donald Trump totally that's criticized Obama, Obama, Obama. Then he wins, has one meeting, and he's sitting next to him shaking his hand. This guy's pretty cool. <laughs> because all of a sudden, all of those problems are now his. Mm -hmm. And he realizes the scope and the magnanimity of the leadership position. So just understand, ladies, you lead from a position of submission, which gives you grace. Notice in Genesis 3, God doesn't go to the woman who ate first. He goes to the man. Why did you? Did you? Did you do what I didn't, you know, right? The guy is accountable and there's pressure there, ladies, that you will never feel. And so just understand that. Um, there's a lot of pressure to be a man and it's really, really confusing uh, what, it, what, what it means to be a man. And, and these guys have no idea. So give them grace, love them, you know, get them in, in, in a men's group, find, find an older guy, a mentor in our church, somebody that can come alongside and just be a cheerleader, man. That's what I would say is not so much, you know, a, a spiritual pastor, what, what guys need is a cheerleader. You can do it. You can get through this. You can make it. And, um, and you're going to be okay. Um, because the truth is I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know how to be a husband. I had to learn. And so does your husband. So give him grace as he figures it out. And he's a beginner and just praise him. Thank him for coming to church. Thank him for doing all those things. Wow. I went on forever. I guess I'm pretty passionate about this. What do you think? That was good. It was yeah, really that was good. Great. See, Stephanie just affirmed me. Yeah, great job. Thank you. I mean, the second one felt a little coarse, but the first one felt <laughs> genuine. What are you going to do? All right, guys. Uh, well, there you go. That That's going to do it for episode 56 here, week two of Relationship Toolkit. We're coming up, coming up on week three soon. Mm -hmm. Next week, we're going to talk about... What's the relationship thing? I, I think remember. we're doing parenting next week. Oh, parenting. All right. So send in your questions about parenting. We'll get those here on the show as we uh, move, continue to move forward. If you want to follow up with anything you've heard here on the show, you can catch us online. Get our show notes at mm -hmm. the our website, www.debrief.show slash 56. That is right. And you can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter at the De at Debrief Show, uh, especially on Facebook. That's where you can get links to all of these episodes. You can send us questions on Facebook. Um, you can also check us out on YouTube. The Debrief Show is on YouTube as well. And you can watch this episode as we recorded it and uh, leave us some comments. Hit the like button. We'll take all that. All those are super great. Uh, and of course, we appreciate you guys' support. For those of you guys, especially who listen to the show, are not already a part of Seattle's Church, if you're willing to give and contribute to help what God is doing here at our church and support the debrief, we would really appreciate that. You can simply give by texting Give Debrief to 951 900 4120. It's Give Debrief. That's two words to 951 900 4120. Any amount will do. We would, a dollar per episode is something that would be like honestly a huge deal to us mm -hmm. uh, and would really help. Help us continue to uh, create this show as well as hopefully some others that we want to work towards as well. All right. That was excellent. Before we get out of here, some stuff Christians say. Steph, you ready to help us out? Oh. Learn some Christianese? Oh, yes. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. All right, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say covenant? I'm surprised it didn't actually come up in our conversation about marriage, but I've heard like, oh, we want a covenant marriage. We want a covenant mm, relationship. Covenant marriage. What do Christians mean when they say covenant? Well, I don't know what Christians mean when they say covenant, but what the word covenant means is, and marriage is, is, is really the only current English word we have in our vocabulary that comes close to the word covenant. So a covenant is an agreement between two individuals that is legally binding. So I don't know why people say we want a covenant marriage because that's like saying I want I want a black black belt. 
it's saying the same thing twice. So that doesn't make any sense. That is why I love that. I love, I hear, I, I, you definitely hear that. You read that like on Christian blog, like mm-hmm. the pin, the Christian corners of Pinterest. Oh yeah. Stuff for your covenant marriage and mm-hmm. things. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's, saying it to it's, sound good. It's saying the same thing twice. And so that's what it means. So it's a covenant is a binding agreement, a legal binding agreement between two individuals. And so um, a covenant is something that happens between, you know, us and God or, you know, in marriage, you know, something that we, we share, you know, we stand before God and we say, you know, until death to us part. And so it's just, it's a legally binding agreement between two individuals. I, I don't know why we feel the need to say it twice. I think that was a really good uh, explanation. We should have a celebration party to honor it. 